the text this morning is Psalm 22. Uh, I, Eric kind of told me where the other folks who've been uh, leading you through the psalm study, what they've covered. So there, it's wide open. Uh, there's 150 psalms. So I think only a few have been covered. So I could do just about any, any one of these I wanted to do. So we're going to do Psalm 22 this morning. And uh, it's going to be a lament. And then tonight we're going to look at uh, five psalms of praise. So there's a nice balance today. But you've got to come back tonight to get, to get the full praise experience. Uh, psalm 22 is a lament. And, and it makes sense because... When you, you think about the collection of psalms, there's 150 psalms. And they are poems, uh, they are prayers, they are songs that mark about a 600-year, even over a 600-year period in Israel's history. It's their songbook. It's their hymn book. And if a songbook or a hymn book's worth its salt, it has to reflect the full gamut of human experience. And so you have psalms of praise, just praise to God for the, being the creator. Praise him in the heavens above. Praise him on the earth below. You have psalms of thanksgiving where the psalmist is thankful to God that God has delivered them out of the pit or that God has blessed them in some way. There are those moments in life where you feel delivered and God has come, he came through for you and you want to thank God for that. But there are, are also psalms that focus on repentance and the damage that sin can do in someone's life. I'm thinking about Psalm 51 and that David's repentance in light of his adultery with Bathsheba. And then there are lament psalms where either an individual or the community of Israel as a people are crying out to God. They are in the darkness. They're in the pit. The water's rising above their heads and they're crying out. The enemies are surrounding them. And if you think about Israel's history from about 1,000, roughly from David, seven, David is attributed 73 of the Psalms, so you start really with David, and then you go through after the rebuilding of the temple, which happened in 515 B.C., but it even goes past that. We have some Psalms from maybe 450 B.C., but you're talking about a 600-year period. There are going to be ups and downs in Israel's history and in the lives of individual Israelites. And you hear those ups and downs in their psalms. And I think that's one of the most appealing things about the psalms for a Christian today who might read them. You can find the full gamut of your human experience in these psalms. But today, it's Psalm 22. There's no more gut-wrenching lament than what we find here. And it begins, the first eight verses, with the psalmist's cry of agony. And the title of it attributes this to David. We don't know what experience specifically David was going through, but it does appear to be a lament of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I can find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. 
let him deliver him since he delights in him so the lament begins with three serious questions directed to God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me and why are you not hearing my cries I'd love to know what it is that David was facing to know specifically why he feels God forsaken why he feels like God so far from saving him why he feels like God doesn't hear him but we can't know but those are three serious questions to ask of God and he says I'm going through this experience I feel like you're not present with me I feel like you're not listening to me I feel like you're not even close to saving me and I cry out by day and there's no answer I cry out by night and no response I can't even find rest the psalmist is going through this experience of the absence of God in the midst of horrifying circumstances or at least what feels like the absence of God so it starts with some really serious questions directed to God and I think we learn here what faith looks like when you're having horrible circumstances in your life when you get a report that you didn't want to get when you find yourself in a situation with your spouse or your children or with your business and and something's going on and it's the last thing you would have wanted to happen and we wonder sometimes what's faith look like in the darkest moments when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death well this is what faith looks like crying out to God even with hard questions but still crying out to God so that's how the psalmist feels God forsaken like God is so far away from answering or even hearing his cries that's how he feels but what does he believe what does he know look at verse 3 yet you are enthroned as the holy one you're the one Israel praises in you our ancestors put their trust they trusted you delivered them to you they cried out and were saved in you they trusted and were not put to shame this is what he knows this is what he believes but it's not what he feels and and you can see the tension here between what he feels and what he knows his first cry was my god my god why have you forsaken me in verse one then go down to verse three to this affirmation that he makes about god yet you are enthroned as the holy one you are the one israel praises i feel abandoned but i know you've not abandoned me for you are enthroned as the holy one you are the one we praise his second cry was why are you so far from saving me then look in verse 4 he says in you our ancestors put their trust they trusted and you saved them I feel like you're far from saving me but I know you have saved us in the past and you will save me again his third cry was why are you so why um, why are you so far from my cries of anguish and look in verse 5 to you they cried and they were saved in you they trusted and they were not put to shame so feeling one way yet believing and knowing something else about God that tension exists often in our lives I mean we live with this sort of dual experience where life can be hard 
and we can go through awful circumstances and at the same time know that God is good and God is faithful that life can be hard and difficult and too short and at the same time be marvelous and wonderful and that's the tension that he's feeling so there's this personal pain that he's expressed in his cries and his affirmations about what he knows about God but then in verse 6, 7, and 8 it's still a cry of agony but now it's a little bit more he feels like a public spectacle now it's not just the personal but I am a worm and not a man he says at this point in time I don't even feel human I feel like some other species and not like a, a lion you know a king of the jungle or something like that I feel like a worm I couldn't be any lower I feel like some other species scorned by everyone despised by people all who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads he trusts in the Lord they say let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him so not only is he having this personal experience of pain and agony and feeling God forsaken but he's being mocked and scorned and derided by others they mock me shaking their heads you know that just adds a little more to the taunt you can say na 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 but you can also say na 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 and one of those is a much stronger taunt so they, they taunt me they deride me shaking their heads in mockery so there's personal pain he feels a public spectacle and then there's a cry for help so there he lets it all out about the experience he's having and how he feels now is his cry for help and he starts in verse 9 yet all this is going on I feel forsaken I'm being ridiculed and mocked yet he remembers now you God brought me out of the womb you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast from birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb you have been my God now he thinks about it he recalls that his his life is because God gave him this life God sustained him when he was an infant and couldn't take care of himself through his mother's breast God has a purpose for his life he believes all that he knows all that he's even thinking about that and then he says verse 11 do not be far from me for my trouble is near and there's no one to help that's his cry for help one line do not be far from me he doesn't say take away all these terrible circumstances whatever it is he doesn't say take away my enemies remove them from my life although I'm sure he'd be happy if that happened but the thing he cries out for above everything else is that God would not be far from him that he would know God's presence and if he knew God's presence then whatever the situation was he could face it squarely but at the moment he's facing the situation feeling God's absence so his prayer is do not be far from me now we go back to a cry of enemy siege this is more like agony again he says in verse 12 many bulls surround me strong bulls of Bashan encircle me not 
skinny, puny bulls, weak bulls, bulls from Bashan. And we learn from the prophets that Bashan had particularly uh, large uh, cows and bulls. So you got the, the biggest, strongest bulls. I feel surrounded, he said. His enemies are pictured like bulls. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. And isn't, isn't that a good picture of maybe the people who are taunting him and saying awful things to him about his faith or his God? They're like lions opening their mouth. He's feeling surrounded by his enemies, fearful. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like pieces of pottery, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. How about that picture of, I just feel washed out and dried up completely and utterly exhausted dogs surround me a pack of villains encircle me they pierce my hands and feet and, and, and we're not talking here about man's best friend we're not talking here about you know dog that sits in your lap we're talking here about unclean scavenger dogs that were dangerous all my bones are on display people stare and gloat over me they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment so all this describes how his opponents are treating him how they've encircled him and the fear and trembling that he's experiencing as a result of it and then another cry for help verses 19 through 21 but you lord do not be far from me it's the same cry he had back in verse 11 do not be far from me but this time he addresses him as lord that's the word yahweh that's the personal name of god it's the first time he's used it in this psalm up to this point and what does yahweh mean you remember moses in exodus 3 he's god tells him to go to pharaoh and he says well okay but if if i go and he asks who sent me who do i say and he said tell him i am sent you well, that's built off the, the name Yahweh. It means I am. But it's not just a statement about God's presence, I am. If you look, go back and look at Exodus 3, it's not just I am, it's I am with you as I was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a statement of God's presence. And he calls upon that name, the name that means I am, I am with you, and says, do not be far from me. That's his cry for help you are my strength come quickly deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs rescue me from the mouth of lions save me from the horns of the wild oxen these are poetic images of all the threats that encircle him and above all he says do not be far from me thankfully at verse 22 we turn to praise he doesn't give narrative about how God shows up and somehow delivers him out of it, but we find in verse 22, he's able to turn to praise. God has heard his cry. God has affirmed his presence with him. And so in 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
all you descendants of Jacob honor him revere him all you descendants of Israel for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help now remember we started with my God my God why have you forsaken me but what do we learn now he realizes God had not forsaken him God had not turned a deaf ear to his cry God had been with him all along he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you I will fulfill my vows the poor will eat and be satisfied those who seek the Lord will praise him may your hearts live forever all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations all the rich of the earth will feast and worship all who go down to the dust will kneel before him even those who cannot keep themselves alive posterity will serve him future generations will be told about the Lord they will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people who are not yet born he has done it or it is done Whew. man I'm glad that Psalm 22 didn't stop at verse 21 but it goes through 23 through 31 is this beautiful expression of praise but it doesn't erase the first 21 verses there's still the lament there's still the psalmist crying out in the darkness it reminds us of another cry in the darkness in Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15 the text that Zach read earlier Jesus cries out these very words he quotes Psalm 22 1 my God my God why have you forsaken me and you can see the similarity in experience now we don't know the specifics of Psalms 22 experience but we know the experience of Jesus specifically and you can see the similarity of crying in the darkness the psalmist feels like he's in the dark crying out God's absence Jesus expresses the same my God my God why have you forsaken me it was literally dark when Jesus utters those words from 12 to 3 that scene is covered in darkness it's like it's like the creation is sliding back into chaos you remember what the creation was like in Genesis 1 1 and 2 before God says let there be light the earth was formless and and void and there was darkness over the face of the deep it was only when God steps up and says let there be light that the chaos becomes ordered creation when the darkness comes over the scene of Jesus crucifixion it's like the world is sliding back into chaos what's happening here is affecting the whole creation from 12 to 3 there's darkness and in that moment Jesus cries these same words my God my God why have you forsaken me and we might wonder what would provoke Jesus to make such a cry but we know it's crucifixion it's the horrors 
and and the the absolute torture and and emotional tragedy that is crucifixion and we know the romans were using it at least from 71 bc because uh, you might have seen the movie spartacus you don't have to have read ancient history you just have to have seen the 1960 kirk douglas spartacus movie and you know there was a slaves rebellion uh and at, by the end led by spartacus a gladiator slave gladiator and uh, over a three-year period uh, the romans finally were able to put uh, this uprising to rest i think uh, somewhere along the lines of six thousand slaves were captured along the way before it was finally put down and in order to say don't even think about rising up against us ever again the romans lined the apian way which would be like i-40 for us they lined it for 120 miles with crosses with insurrectionists crucified on the major travel way the apian way it was meant to be a deterrent so it had to be ugly it had to be awful and it had to be emotionally uh, tragic and painful so that no one would ever want to do anything that might put you at risk of having to endure that the emotional pain of it is evident in as we read the gospels the taunting the nakedness jesus is stripped naked beaten and and we know about the the cat of nine tails the leather strips the bone or metal and the 39 lashes that would that would tear away the skin which would be painful and awful but by a few lashes you're getting down to muscle which more than painful would also be a bloody affair and this done naked publicly and then then you parade to the place of execution carrying that cross piece with your back laid open and every step of the way there would be taunts and mocking and then finally you arrive at the place of execution where they nail you to that cross piece and then hang that cross piece up on the vertical piece which would always be there in a not on a hill far away but in a i-40 kind of place where everyone could see it and they drop that piece then onto that vertical piece and the person hangs here lifting themselves up for air as long as they had the energy to do it but either shock or loss of blood or finally asphyxiation would be your demise and in a way you become your own executioner because you can't lift up for air so it's the weight of your own body that finally causes you to not be able to breathe my god my god why have you forsaken me i don't think we have to ask why he would cry that with darkness over the scene but a question we need to always remember is why he's enduring this it's for us it's for you for me because we had this big problem it's a small word three letters sin but it's a big problem 
And we've got lots of problems in our world today. We've got lots of problems in this country today. I could go through, ask all of you, what's our number one? What's our biggest problem? And, and I, I could get uh, abortion. I could get COVID. I could get all sorts of government. I could get all sorts of answers. And I'd probably agree with you. Yep, those are probably, yep, that's a big problem. Yep, that might be number one. But the truth is, those are all just symptoms of a larger problem. Our sin. We're living in rebellion against God. And the result of that are all these other issues that we have to deal with. Now, we have to deal with those issues. And we should try to bring righteousness as best we can to each of them. But ultimately, the problem is sin. And that must be dealt with. That's exactly what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's dealing with this sin problem. We couldn't do it. We're guilty. There's nothing we could do to fix our sin problem or to pay the price that we owed. Only God could do it. And God could have decided, you know, I'll just look the other way and ignore their sin. But that would violate the nature of God. He is holy. He can't just look the other way. He could have annihilated us. The whole creation, the whole universe, the whole cosmos, just annihilation. But God is love. And the thought of just annihilating the creation with no chance of redemption is a violation of God's love. So God designs a plan whereby he becomes the sacrifice in the person of his son. And here the second person of the Trinity, the son, hangs here. The only truly righteous person hangs here bearing your sin and mine and in that moment he cries my god my god why have you forsaken me we often hear that and and think and i've said this before but i've changed my thinking on it that in that moment when jesus cried that cry that was god turning his back on his son now i always had a problem with that as a father I had a problem with that idea of my son enduring the most difficult awful moment of his life and the thought that somehow I could remove myself from it I always struggled with that and that idea of God turning his back let's think about this psalm that I just read to you how often it sounds like the crucifixion scene how much of what we see happen in Matthew 27 and John 19 and Mark 15 actually is happening in Psalm 22 at, at verse 7 22 7 when he says all who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads look at Matthew 27 39 or I'll just read it to you those who passed by hurled insults at him doing what shaking their heads the next verse 22 8 this is what they said this was the taunt he trusts in the lord let the lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him look at matthew 27 43 this is what they say those who taunted jesus he trusts in god let god rescue him now exactly what the psalmist says they're saying about him 
then go down to verse 14 the psalmist says I'm poured out like water all my bones are out of joint I'm poured out like water you remember John 19 when Jesus in the crucifixion scene in John a, a soldier spears him in the side and what comes out water and blood poured out like water he says in verse 15 my mouth is dried up like like pieces of pottery my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth what a poetic description of thirst John 19 28 I thirst Jesus cries he says at verse 18 they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment look at Matthew 27 35 when they crucified him they divided up his clothes by casting lots verse uh, 16 dogs surround me a pack of villains encircle me they pierce my hands and feet you can't read that and not think about crucifixion and then at the end verse 31 you could translate it it's one Hebrew word he has done it or you could translate it it is done and John's final word in his crucifixion scene of Jesus is one Greek word it is finished it is done and because of all this Psalm 22 is often called the fifth gospel account of the crucifixion because so much of the crucifixion is evident in Psalm 22 now why am I saying all that did I lose my train of thought from God didn't turn his back when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 1 do you think he knows the whole Psalm or do you think he just thought oh that's a good verse I'll say right now don't you imagine that Jesus would know that whole Psalm and so much of that Psalm points to the whole crucifixion scene well then don't miss verse 24 I'll read it again Psalm 22 24 the psalmist says he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help the psalmist felt like he was abandoned but he knows he wasn't did the father turn the back on his son there's no text that says that there's only Psalm 22 1 Jesus saying my God my God why have you forsaken me he's quoting this Psalm but I'm sure he knows verse 24 also there is no reason to think the father turned his back on the son what the son does the father is doing also we worship a God who is Trinity who is three in one father son and spirit but one God one will one purpose there's no fracture in the Trinity there's no trouble in the Trinity there's no Jesus disillusioned with the father's plan and he's crying out of disillusionment what the father does the son does what the son does the spirit does what the spirit does the father does what it teaches us is that in our suffering in your suffering God who is father son and spirit suffers for you and with you God will not turn his back on you in your suffering he suffered for us that's what Jesus is doing 
He's suffering for you and for me. Only he could do it. He was the only one. That was the only way. And that was the only time for us. But he also suffers with us. There is no suffering. There is no experience that you can have in this life that God cannot say to you, I know what you're going through I think of the the most terrible thing I could think of imagine facing in life would be the death of one of my children and, and you can imagine that being the that, I, that, I, give me anything but that having to endure that but even in that the father can say I know what you're going through If you're facing some life circumstance that has you feeling God forsaken, your enemies around you, no hope, no way out, know that God has not abandoned you and he will not. Maybe you're not there today. Maybe, maybe life is pretty good today. Maybe you're feeling good, your family's well. Then find joy once more in the God of your salvation who suffered for you and when you go through the dark places the valley of the shadow of death know that then he'll suffer with you let's pray our father we are grateful for this word that the psalmist has given us that points to the coming of Jesus his death on the cross it reminds us that you suffered for us and that you were with us even in the dark. I pray for someone who might be here today who's in the darkness now, who's in the pit, who feels the waters rising above their head. I pray you would make yourself known to them today and that you would not be far from them and they would know I pray for others who may have lost the joy of their salvation. I pray today they would re be reminded of what you've done for us and we would find joy. For it's at the name of Jesus who shed his blood for us, I pray. Amen.